Where is Marco Rubio? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but I think he's out raising money. Uh, what one thing that's kind of interesting you you've heard the criticism of Rubio for not showing up for Senate votes, and he. he He's missed a lot of them, actually, more than even the other senators who are running for president. And there's actually an article in the Washington Post this morning about how Rubio apparently hates being senator. He's so frustrated. And so you'd think, well, if he's not you know, in the Senate, he's got to be out on the campaign trail all the time. Um, but actually, he's not among those who were visiting the early states the most. When, when I looked at the number uh, of can- each candidate's visit to each state, Rubio is 13th out of 15 candidates in the number of days or, or parts of days that they've spent in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. So I, I guess he's out there raising money, um, which, you know, he hasn't had a huge amount of success doing. Uh, his $5.7 million for the third quarter was viewed as kind of disappointing. But, but um even with all that, uh, you may have seen the Ross Dowdick column over the weekend kind of declaring him the actual front-runner in the race. I even did though... not see that. I did not see that. Tell me more. He's a smart guy, Ross. Uh, yes, and, and Ross, has, Ross has written and taken Donald Trump quite seriously. But I, I think you and I have discussed the whole law of gravity idea mm-hmm. that Trump basically challenges the, the most uh, deeply held notions of people who follow politics. And they simply can't believe that he can succeed. And Stuart Stevens, who was who ran Romney's campaign in 2012, I think said it best. He said, "If Trump wins, then everything we know about politics is wrong." Right. So uh, Ross, who to his credit, I think has taken the whole Trump phenomenon seriously, tried to understand it, uh, said that the real front runner in the race is Marco Rubio because uh, Trump is not going to win. Ben Carson is not going to win. Anybody else who might be ahead of Rubio at any given moment is not going to win. Rubio has the best chance of getting that mix of support among the establishment and the voters of any of the uh, candidates. He's not alone, and Ross is not alone in thinking that. All right, but let's put some counter-evidence. Some of it we talked about last week. You and I were both taken with Alex Castellanos' work and columns in which he said, here's what's interesting about Trump. Uh, he went up, and then it looked like he plateaued, but then, you know, sinking a little, and then he bang, he went back up again. And exactly. That suggested staying power. So I'm, you know, I'm more cred- uh, credulous on this now than I was than I was before. Um, and and then um, and then second, I saw something by Ron Brownstein. Where's who's he read? It used to be L.A. Times. National Journal. National Journal. And he said, uh, you know, two sentences explain what's going on here. Um, the uh, white working class has settled on Donald Trump as a group, and yes. the uh, rest of the Republican Party uh, has not. So they're scattered over many people. Is that, that, yeah, is that uh, Trump has. Yeah, Trump has very. This is the opposite of what happened in 2012. Remember, uh, social conservatives were very upset because the whole establishment was united behind Romney. Yeah, and they were divided among a number of candidates. Yeah, from Herman Cain to Gingrich to uh, uh, Rick Perry to Rick Santorum. 
Um, and so they were kind of upset that the, well, gee, the establishment seems always kind of gets behind one guy, and we're all divided. And they, I think they worried that that was going to happen this time with Jeb in the role of uniting <clears throat> the establishment. Well, that hasn't happened. And uh, what Ron has pointed out, and he's right about this, is if you look at Trump's supporters, the, he really has huge support among uh uh, white people uh, who don't have college degrees, which is a large number of people. Right. And uh, among those who do have college degrees, they're quite divided between Bush, uh, Rubio, some of Cruz. Cruz is doing quite well, actually, with both groups. And uh, so there is this division, and the, the establishment choice, if the establishment choice was going to be either Jeb or Scott Walker or Christie or Rubio, the establishment, establishment choice has not stepped forward yet, shall we say. Yeah, okay. Uh, I should note, too, because uh, this uh, piques us a little bit, that Marco Rubio has not stepped forward to come on this show. All the other candidates have been on this show at least once. He hasn't twice. been on the show. No, no, not since he declared, no. Really? Which you know, he... He, he does. He's done things like Kentucky sports radio. I know. I mean, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But. No, I, I know. I, well, we do wow. feel bad, uh, but that, that's okay. But we think more more problem for him than us. We we could help him, you know, because I I like Rubio. I like him very much. Um, I think he's very impressive, but uh, he needs to uh, he needs to come on. Trump hasn't been on either. We've tried, but that's you know, it's not the usual kind of approach. Here, yeah. <laughs> no, I need, maybe not. I need to call him something, you know, Let's say I'm a Catholic, right down the middle Catholic, you know. There you go. Yeah, maybe maybe you that'll go. get me somewhere. You could have a nice Catholic, too, Presbyterian uh, yeah, conversation. Right down the middle. Let's uh, talk about Benghazi. Explain this to me. Uh, it was a bust, I guess, uh, one of your columns said. A lot of liberals are declaring Hillary just landslide Hillary, that she won a decision fight easy. It wasn't a knockout, but she won. At the same time, you know, we were playing this exchange with Jim Jordan. There was another exchange you pointed out with Lynn Westmoreland where, you know, she was nailed or at least uh, pretty close on the Jordan thing. You know, he cites three times where she says uh, – you know, uh, a, a day after the event, that this was a terrorist attack. Not the video, but a terrorist attack. Says it to Chelsea, says it to guy in Libya, says it to guy in Egypt. And, and there it is, and then lies to the American people. Why didn't this mean, why didn't this make headlines? Why didn't this ring throughout the land? Why didn't well, this in part it because we loop? already knew that the blame it on the video story was lies and okay. spin. Okay. Um, and... So um, you're, you're absolutely right, especially the, the note to Chelsea and especially the, uh, the notes of the conversation with the Egyptian prime minister do show that she knew immediately after the attack that it was a pre-planned terrorist attack and not a spontaneous reaction to a video. Um, however, my, my point was that the, uh, that the Benghazi investigation uh, has produced, has added incrementally to our knowledge of what happened that night. Uh, it has added this whole, uh, Sidney Blumenthal has added the, the knowledge that uh, kind of a crank like Blumenthal had instant access to the Secretary of State, while the the endangered ambassador in Libya had to kind of jump up and down, wave his hands to try to get her attention. Uh, and it also has given us additional 
prove that the um, um, the blame it on the video story was lies and spin. Now, was that enough to sustain uh, an eleven hour hearing? Uh, was that enough to even sustain a hearing uh, with Hillary Clinton? Uh, and my feeling is that these incremental additions, these nuggets of information, uh, are not going to change the public's view of, of this and are not going to substantially change the okay. whole investigation. Byron, should it have been shorter, focused, more disciplined? Is that Gowdy's fault? Well, it certainly should have been shorter. I mean, I guess uh, you could, you could. the committee would say, well, look, she's only, she, we wanted to have her multiple times and she only agreed to come once, so we're going to cover everything. Um, there were people who said, and I kind of agree with them, that perhaps the, the Republicans should have chosen a, a single questioner, yeah. an outside questioner, picked, a, picked an outside counsel to do the questioning uh, and not have the, uh, uh, the, the committee's members do it because the, the, the representatives, just as in the Senate, occasionally get off on tangents and make their own comments and stuff. Yeah, who was um, uh, It was Michael Chertoff who did some for... Uh, Chertoff did the Whitewater uh, hearings, yeah, did a yeah. very, very effective cross-examination of, of Webb Hubble many years ago, yeah. um, that you could have used that model. And also, you could have, um, <clears throat> you know, some of these things, these, these great controversies that turn into legal investigations, uh, end up with a process crime. Right? They end up yeah, with somebody sure. being charged with perjury or obstructing justice, uh, withholding yeah. information, uh, something like that. And uh, it's, it's, I've written about this. It's, it's my belief that it's an absolute open and shut case that Hillary Clinton uh, withheld information from yeah, Congress. Absolutely. As she was first directed to turn over everything, including emails, to the Congress on November, excuse me, September 20th, 2012. Yeah. That is nine yeah. days after yeah. the attack. Yeah. She withheld information for years. So you could have had a hearing and focused on that. 